to the awakened one, the blessed one, the Buddha, and uh, also to the Dhamma, all liberating Dhamma teachings, and to the entire Sangha of those who have awakened and realized liberation in the past and who are now and even into the future, all those who ever will, uh, who are our companions in this path of practice. So, uh, I gave the, the name, a name to the feeling of inspiration that arose uh, with hearing about that, uh, reading about the topic of the nutriments, and the name that I gave was uh, uh, to feed or not to feed, that is the question. So... Uh, the Buddha's teaching on nutriment and uh, nourishment for this path of practice, for the work of our hearts, this work that needs to be done. Um, so, uh, in Buddhist monastic life, uh, there's a kind of a basic training for novices, for those who are newly entering into the monastic life. And uh, in this basic training, there's a series that's like by the numbers of things to learn and uh, then to, to study, to practice with by the numbers. And the first one is the, the one, and then you go to the, the two, the threes, the fours, the fives, the sixes, the sevens, through to the eights, like the eightfold path, and up to twelve for the twelvefold chain of dependent origination. Uh, so going through the numbers like this. And so for the first one, the question is, what is the one? Yeah. And uh, in, in, uh, in Pali, that would be eka namakim, which means, what is the one? So I didn't just make up the, the was it to feed or not to feed? That is the question. Eka namakim, what is the one? And the answer to that is nutriment or nourishment. Yeah. And this basic teaching that's present there, that is deep in the training that I've had, and this path of practice is to recognize that all forms of life, and I'm not just talking about like human beings or non-human beings, or like humans, cats, dogs, birds, or that, that kind of thing, but all, all forms of life uh, exist due to nutriment, uh, 
and will continue if there is nutriment, if there is nourishment for them. And when there is no nutriment or nourishment, then that will cease to exist. So basically, what gets fed will live and continue, and what doesn't get fed will pass away. So it seems kind of like evolution in a way, or kind of like Biology 101, if anybody ever ever did Biology 101, then maybe the first class was also like this, and so too from ancient times for Buddhist monastics, uh, this kind of principle about life. But as I said a minute ago, it's not just about like human beings and mammals or insects or, or that kind of thing. But it goes, uh, it goes deeper than that. So that's a way of compartmentalizing forms of life. But if we look at this body, feelings, mind, even we could say the spirit, so for the body too, and all of the bodily systems, even down to the level of cells and groups of cells. If nourishment is there, they're going to grow and live according to that nourishment. Yeah? And if nourishment is not there, they're going to pass away. But then, going from the body, we then move to feelings. For feelings also, in this case I'm talking about emotions, not only, not just physical sensations, but emotions. So for pleasant feelings, painful feelings, does this teaching apply to them as well? And in this particular teaching, yes, the answer is yes. And right there we're going outside of what was taught in Biology 101. <laughs> We've just moved into a whole, whole other realm. So also for feelings. Whatever kind of feelings, whether happiness or sadness or feeling pleasure or pain, even liking or disliking, so many different kinds of feelings and feeling tones that also if there's nutriment for them, if there's nutriment for them, then they will, they will grow, they will persist, and when the nutriment is not there for them, when the fuel, you could also say the fuel, is not there for them, then they will disappear. Yeah? And then going to the things of the mind. Yeah? So, in this case, then there's also the relationship between the body and feelings and the mind and things that we, things that we talk about being, being properties of mind. So we think about, like for the body, eyes being part of the body, and yet, then that's also related to feelings and also related to the mind. So there's the recognition of actually feeding on sights, on things that are seen. Yeah? Craving, a craving or a hunger or a thirst for seeing things. And then with, if we're able to see things, and then the kind of feeding on, on what is seen. And whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, uh, then this is this is related. So then the, the feelings are associated also, yeah? Craving for sounds and for hearing. What kind of things do we like to hear? What kind of things are really like feeding an emotional an emotional sense that 
that's or even bodily or emotional sense that's related to hearing. And then also for physical sensation, for smells, for taste, the craving for taste. And then not only the physical nutriment from food or from drinks or from what else? Uh, Gum? I don't know. I'm thinking cigarettes. Cigarettes? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you can add in whatever you want to there. Whatever there might be a, like a craving related to the mouth that's, that's there. Uh, and then the, the kind of the, the feeding on those sensations and perceptions that are, that are related to that experience. Uh, and then also touch. Yeah? And so the sense of touch, even like uh, somebody mentioned about feeling the, you know, feeling the, the feeling of the air coming in through the door and whether it's warm or whether it's cool, whether that feels good or doesn't feel good and whether that's satisfying or dissatisfying. Yeah? So this is part of then the, the nutriment and the feeding on experience. So if we jump from the one about the nutriment up to the twelve, If you've ever seen the Dhamma wheel that has 12 spokes on it, then this is one of the the meanings of that. If you ever saw a kind of Buddhist flag, like yellow with with the wheel on it, or the the flag of India, even. It's got the wheel on it from the old Emperor Ashoka from Buddhism. Still, not not so much Buddhism in India these days, but still the wheel is there on the flag. Um, But... uh, in, in that, uh, in those 12 uh, factors of becoming, uh, dependent origination of, of, of being and becoming, then uh, uh, this part about the craving, the craving for experience is there. It's one of the main links, one of the really, really important links. And then the next one that's right next to it is often translated as attachment. And you've probably heard even that, like in the Buddhist teaching, cause of suffering is attachment, or that would be a a kind of a a radical simplification of of just that, you know, that that part of that teaching, except for the word that's there. There's the word for craving that actually means thirst or hunger. Tanha, Trishna means thirst normally, but... You know, it's the same thing for, for physical hunger and then also for emotional hunger, for mental hunger, for spiritual hunger and, and craving. Uh, and we, we feel this sense of longing, seeking, yearning. All of those come under that, that category then of, of hunger or of, of thirst. Yeah? And mostly it boils down to something that's actually like deeply emotional. Yeah, and it's hard to say even sometimes. Is it physical? Because you feel it in the body. Even when you're feeling it in your mind or your heart, then you also feel it in the body. What does it feel like? That even if it's an emotional craving or or thirst, then you also feel it in the body as well. The, the sense of of longing. Yeah. Then the link that's right next to it that gets translated as attachment that I was about to say. Upadana. That one is actually, it's it's when there's an object, and then there's the 
the consuming of that object of experience. So whether it's like looking at the candle and and then you know there's something about that. You know, so beautiful, this candle light there is so nice and lovely and kind of warm kind of light and how it's flickering and kind of feeling in the heart, this nice feeling looking at the candle for me anyway. Somebody else might look at it and nope, doesn't do that for me. <laughs> I don't feel that at all. But you know, there's there's the thought, there's the, the emotional sense, there's the feeling in the body with it. If you looked at it and you started to feel peaceful, then for me I'm feeling it in my shoulders, in my belly and uh, so then there's the, the, the feeding on the experience, whether it's a sight, sound, smell, taste, a physical sensation. It's like you have an object for that craving, and there's this engagement that's happening with it. Uh, so something something has glommed onto or connected with that, with that object, and then is partaking of it. How's that for a word? <laughs> Would that be good for food? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can use it for other things, right? I don't, I don't know if you could say that for if there's a smell and then uh, a little stuffed up. <laughs> um, and then the the experiencing of that, or the the the, the sound, and then the, the 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 taking that in and uh, the the experiencing uh, of it. So that would be considered actually a kind of a a kind of a feeding or a kind of a consuming. It's often translated as attachment just because of the the connection that's there between the craving or the hunger and an object. And that connection is not one of just stillness and being with, like the way that we're actually learning with practicing mindfulness of the body and of the feelings. It's a different kind of engagement. Where there's really there's a there's a, a kind of a, what is it a, a need uh, and a, a liking or a disliking uh, that's happening in in relationship with what's what's being experienced. Yep. So I don't know how many of you recognize this in your own experience. This thing that I'm talking about. Little nod if there's some recognition there. Okay. Um, so in terms of a practice, there's becoming aware of what is going on and seeing it. Just like in quantum physics, becoming aware of it actually changes the quality of the experience <coughs> and it changes what is happening. So in terms of Buddhist teaching, there's the feeding that happens in the dark. In a way, it's like undercover, which means there isn't awareness of what's going on. There's hunger, there's feeding, and there's like a kind of compulsion in that. And it seems like you're powerless in it, like you're, like you're out of control, you're being compelled, you're being pulled, you're being moved to do that. And, and there, there isn't the feeling of that being fully aware or fully intentional. But developing the awareness of what's happening and there's the possibility also to become intentional becoming intentional then you can make choice in whether to feed or not to feed on that particular experience in that in that kind of way 
So this is one of the things with the power of bringing awareness to it. So it's no longer just compulsion happening under the cover of darkness, um, but, but taking the cover off, taking the lid off of it and really seeing it with that awareness. That awareness makes the ground then for intentionality and doing what you're doing with knowing and then also can be with intention. And once intention arises, then you can choose to do it or not. And this is a very, very great and important thing. And developing the mindful, <coughs> like one key factor that makes the base for being able to do that. So you're not just being pulled along with it or sucked into it or dragged by it. or It can really, it feels like that if there, if there is thirst. And this thirst in terms of Buddhism, there's the one that's considered to be like a, a negative. It means there's, there's a craving for something not to be happening. There's a wish, there's a want, uh, there's a desire uh, for something not to be happening. You don't like it. That is also considered to be a kind of hunger or craving or desire. A very, very close companion then to the, the attachment. And then there's also wanting something to happen, which is the other face. So those two dance together. So it's like the not wanting of one thing and then the wanting of something else. And then those dance around each other. So it's like the, those kind of mask dances where the dancer has the face on one side and also on the other side. So there's one face and then there's the other and they turn around and you see one and you see the other. But they, they're both on the, on, the same, on the same dancer, right? So it's like you see, normally you, you more see the wanting it to be a particular way part and like desiring that or you see the other side, like, really clear, that's not what I want. I want to get rid of it. I don't want to have that happen. This is what I want to avoid, to stop, to end, all of that. So you see one side or the other, but they, they come together. The other side is the, the shadow of it. Yeah. Um, so we can see how strong and how prevalent this is, even from one moment to the next of experience. There can be something in us that's like, want or don't want, want or don't want, moment by moment by moment by moment, like or don't like, like or don't like. Yeah? This is another excellent thing about the mindfulness and developing a kind of like steadiness and equanimity, sometimes called choiceless awareness where your aim is not to be getting or rejecting, getting or getting rid of, but just seeing and knowing and being with what's going on. And so this is another reason how this gives you a kind of base and power in a way with regards the experience to be intentional and not just like caught in uh, to, that, uh, to that process. Yeah? Once you realize that you have choice, that you can be intentional with this very deep, deep biological, uh, emotional, mental, and spiritual uh, process that we all have going on moment by moment, you realize that you have choice, then this is where the question comes up, to feed or not to feed. It's not only compulsive at that point. You're not chained to it. You don't have to do it. Yeah, You have this position of awareness where you can be with it, you can see it, and then you can choose. 
Is it going to be healthy, helpful for you or not? If it's with regards to the body, you can probably think of many things where you can make that kind of choice. Food, is it going to be, is it going to be healthy and helpful for you? Uh, many other kinds of things for the body. But then for emotions, for feelings, when an emotion arises, do you just have to jump into the stream of it and carry it, it, it be carried by it as far as it will take you? Or... Are you, are you pouring more water into that stream if it's hot water? Are you, putting, are you firing more heat under it <laughs> if it's cold water? I know, like for anger, some people feel hot, some people feel very cold with anger. Some people who I know who have had heart attacks related to their anger, sometimes it's like the sense of heat is too strong, sometimes the sense of cold and contraction. Uh, sometimes more for women, the cold anger. So it's like all the blood comes out of your appendages and then it all contracts in the heart and then it just stops there. Do you you have to just go with that process while it's happening? Uh, And like I said just a moment ago, if it's hot or if it's cold, can you recognize that there also may be putting more fire or putting more cold or actually turning down the heat? on it. Or even if it were a hot shower, like choosing to turn it off and step out? Or do you have to be in there with it? Are you doing something that's turning up the heat, even though it feels too hot, but it's (laughs) somehow turning it up? This is another place where the mindfulness is so excellent and can really help you to see what's actually going on, and then also what's what's being done. I want to be careful about saying what you're doing, because you could say what you're doing, but if it's not not intentional, then you know there's what there's what's happening. There's what's being done. Normally we would say it's what I'm doing or what's what you're doing. But I just want to bring awareness to those those words and that idea uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, if you become aware, you're mindful. You become aware, then you can act intentionally. Still, I don't know if it's right to say I, <laughs> but uh, it seems a little bit closer in terms of responsible, like intentional or responsible action, which means you're. You're making a choice about what you're doing. Yeah. So here I am talking about emotions for the mind also. For what you feed the mind or don't feed the mind. Intentional or not intentional? What do you think? Do you realize... Habit, yeah. Well, sure, right. Habit, what we learn, just what we've been doing. But does it have to be habitual? Can you can you choose what you what you feed, what you feed your mind, or what you don't what you don't feed it? Have you ever been able to recognize mental junk food? 
trash, stuff that you don't need to be shoveling in there, stuff that you don't need necessarily to be taking on. Yeah? Have you ever become aware of such of such things? I know I certainly have. Yeah? This is <laughs> this has been one of the big realizations actually with having a discipline in monastic life. Some of our precepts, it's like, what is this precept for? But it gives a kind of a framework because there's the training, then it helps to make the things intentional and you realize you're, you're doing something intentionally and, and with choice. And then there are so many things that I did before that it's like, I don't, it was just the culture. It's just the people that I was together with. There was just so much junk that I was just like taking on and shoveling in day after day that I feel like, was that, was that helpful? What, what was that stuff? And is my, is my mind just a garbage dump like this <laughs> for my body and mind? In fact, I was treating it like a garbage dump in so many ways, just putting in and taking on so much stuff that you don't actually completely don't have to. And mentally, emotionally, and physically as well, just feel so much better not not putting in, that we can choose not to, and choose other things. I mean, even just to look and what kinds of things are like nourishment for for my mind. You might say, this evening, that would be really nice. Um, I'd say the Dhamma for me is one really, really good one. And being with people who I see them doing things in a way that are, are admirable. They've got something something going on that they're developing or some skill that they have that I can like I can learn something from or I can I can model from. For me entering into monastic life then having models of people who were not just shoveling trash into their minds was really, really helpful because my former companionship uh, so many of the people were doing that, and so that's the model that was there. And when you have models around you, the easiest thing is to kind of just take it on and go together and do the same thing, and and then the habits develop like that, and then it's just the way you're living. Yeah. Uh, but being around different people who are living living in a different way, that part has also been really, really helpful for me. Because just even in the body, like being with someone who is mindful, just body-wise, getting a sense of, ah, this is how it is to be present with the body and what's being experienced, rather than like what I learned as a young person here growing up in the United States as a young female is a lot of disassociation from the body. And in a way, like cut off at the neck, kind of strange, you know, that uh, look at the picture and head and, and neck and body are connected, but <laughs> in some ways completely not. You know, whole whole sections of my psychology and and body and everything like partitioned off somehow. So being together with people even in silence with the sense of being able to be with the body or like like what Lulu did earlier with just saying saying who you are and what's going on and you know just to be able to hear and to sit with and to be 
with that something that I didn't learn as a young teenager from my companionship and from my teachers in school. (laughs) That's not really what was going on. And so it's such a simple thing, but so revolutionary. And you you can know for yourself, really, what kinds of becoming aware of what you're putting in, what you're taking in, in terms of what you're, what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, and for, the, you know, for the, the mind also, how you're using it. What is, what is being taken in, and then there's the part with the mind, just with the mind. The mind with the mind, where it's also happening. Dreaming fantasizing, how we remember things, planning, imagination, particular types of thinking, patterns of thinking, realizing that those are also being sustained by nutriment. Yeah, If something is arising over and over again in the mind, giving attention is actually a nutriment. It's energy. It's life energy. It's the energy of the mind. Yeah? What we give attention to, actually, there's a way that that gives life to it. There's one thing, actually, that I know where that's not true. Does anybody know what it is? Breathing. Huh? Breathing. Breathing. That's interesting. Uh, Huh. I'm thinking about mental, like, almost purely mental stuff. Yeah? You have an idea? Any? (coughs) This is... Yeah? We need more hints. More hints. (laughs) (laughs) So, one thing that giving attention to uh, does not feed. Dreaming. Dreaming. That's interesting. It's really, really close. That's actually very, very close. Uh, It's ignorance. (laughs) Yeah. Ignorance is one thing that gets de-nurtured by giving attention. By giving attention to it. Or it can be de-nurtured by giving attention to it. And this is another... Another way that this very type of mindfulness, just developing the quality of seeing, knowing, being aware of what's actually going on. I said earlier with quantum physics, the observation of something actually changes it. I don't know much about quantum physics, but that's what I read. I thought that's really interesting because, in fact, with this type of meditation, with this practice, like say an emotion is rising up and you're seeing it and that there's the emotion and you're feeling it in the body and yet bringing mindful attention to it actually changes changes the experience and what happens with it then goes in a different way it becomes something else it becomes something else than what it would have if you didn't bring that mindfulness if you didn't bring that attention yeah So this is a very, really amazing and profound thing to me. I'm just in awe, actually, of how this works. It's such a very simple thing, and it's so so powerful. It's so powerfully transformative. 
and it makes the base then again for the intentionality then being able to make really being able to choose to do or not to do to feed to feed or not to feed yeah so I don't know if this is anything like the, the nutriments that Lulu may have been imagining when she, when she wrote better than I was expecting. <laughs> but this is, this is really, for the teaching on nutriments in the suttas, uh, in the Buddhist discourses, the early Buddhist discourses, there are a lot of really, like, very, I'd say, almost technical and concrete suggestions that are there. Like, if this thing is arising, then give it that that are transformative. If there's this kind of situation, then this is the thing that's good to good to bring forth and, and feed to it in a way. Or this particular thing is happening, then this is good to de-nourish. It means not to give more fuel to. Yeah? So for the Eightfold Path in Buddhism, this is actually what we're talking about right now is very, very deep in the fold of right effort. Right effort works together with right mindfulness. They work together in, in tandem. So I see here six wise effort. Wise can sound even better than right, uh, or maybe right can sound even better than wise. I don't know. You can use whichever one sounds good. Um, Right means basically not not wasted, not ineffectual, not useless, not feeding yourself garbage. Uh, and that's what wise means also. I like the wise. Yes? Okay. So wise, it is. The right is wise. Yeah? And uh, the wise, maybe it seems like a judgment to call it right, but there's a way when it's wise that in our bodies and in our hearts that it really feels right. It feels right, yeah? And it's not about a judgment. It's about a sense of uh, just something that doesn't feel unbalanced, uh, doesn't feel toxic, doesn't feel distorted, doesn't feel manipulative. It just is without those things. And what you're left with, some people say that that feels right. So... There you go. You have that. You have that meaning there. Yeah. If you want to learn more about the technical aspects of this, the the nutriments, you could ask Lulu about it. I have the sutta references. Um, happy to share. She has the sutta references. This is just about the basic the basic paradigm. So for wise effort there, really for wise effort working together with uh, right mindfulness. Uh, the mindfulness makes it so you can see what's going on, again, and then that gives you a kind of a, a leverage. Then wise intention, the intentionality arises, and then for the effort, really the question in right effort is whether, whether to feed or not to feed. So for the things that have already arisen, have already come into being, already exist, are they good to to give more fuel to, to give more food food to, and to develop, or is it something that's good to turn down the fuel, turn down the fire, take away the the nutriment, and let it go by the way of nature? No food, no fuel, and it will discontinue. 
it will discontinue, it will die out, and it will it will disappear. Yeah. So working with both those things together. So you don't want to just turn something off and then not not replace it. Because in terms of food and our life energy and that kind of thing, this is not just about starving. Yeah. The other side is very, very important. So when you when you start to denurture the things that aren't healthy, that may not be serving you well, it's very important to do the opposite side, and that is to give nourishment, to give food, to give a lot of care and support uh, to the things that do serve well, that are healthy and that are that are helpful. Yeah. And so then your your life energy then goes into that, your, your efforts, your resources then go into that. And just according to cause and effect, this thing works. It just the stuff just works like that. It's just in a way it's just basic biology. Uh, in a way it's just basic Dhamma. Yeah. It's uh, deep deep in this uh, path and uh, this number one uh, question. Uh, the first first question uh, learned in the Buddhist monastic novice primer that's there, this to feed or, or not to feed, uh, this subject of nutriment and uh, nourishing, nourishing the path. Yeah. So good for, uh, good for all of us, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Do we have time for more questions here, maybe? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Do you, you know, when you started talking about this, I immediately thought of food. Yeah. And uh, I have this craving, like a lot of people, for sugar. Uh-huh. And um, I was just it, it brought it up for me. Do you do you, you or other monastics? I always picture monastics as reading things a lot, and memorizing uh. things. But do you find journaling and just writing stuff? Dan, do you do that a lot? Mm. Actually, I write quite a bit. Uh, and I find writing really, really useful. Not all monastics do. And I have periods of time where I don't write at all. But uh, for me, writing is really a path of practice. And one thing that I, I love about the writing is I get to be really like slow and contemplative with it. And I can write something, and then if I feel like, actually, no, that's not quite right with the computer, I can just <laughs> go back and just erase that and then and then put it forth again and see does that does that seem more wise or does that seem more like to better to better express what what is being felt or sensed or what seems important and um, so I, I like to do that uh, and then also I love to stop with the words because I do write quite a lot and it's important for me uh, when I stop, when I turn that off and the silence of the body and mind and the absence of words is also really, really important for me and I find that deeply nourishing deeply nutritive that is that, that silence when the mind gets to be quiet and the depth of stillness and the beauty that there is for me, this is something kind of like recharging. In the suttas, there are several suttas where uh, the Buddha mentions this analogy of going up like high in the Himalayas and then finding this mountain lake 
high in the Himalayas and it's so clear and it's so pure. It's completely pure and clear and you can look down and you can see the color of all of the pebbles that's in there and going into the lake and then like bathing in, uh, submerging even. Not if it seems scary, but uh, just <laughs> uh, keep your head at the place that's appropriate. Uh, but just soaking, soaking in uh, that pure, clear, fresh, um, refreshing mountain water. And uh, there's, there's something about that then that feels like just so refreshing that also I find when the mind stops talking, stops making words, and there's just the, the silence and stillness of the mind that is deeply refreshing in that kind of way. And for me also, if you're going to journal uh, or not, uh, there's a way, again, that that can be compulsive. Yeah? And I find it's really good to be able to just be intentional about it and to, to write to think with words when it's the when it's the time that is like dedicated for that and to write when it's the time for it and to be able to also then just to stop peacefully to stop and to step away and to move out of the realm of words and so it is it is so good to be able to to do that in that way with practice with this type of practice, it's like the mind becomes so much more wieldy. Is that a word? Wieldy or wieldy? Wieldy. So much more flexible and so much more like I've had the times where I did have the intentionality and then I tried to do something with my mind and my mind was not wieldy. My mind was so resistant. <laughs> Something in there was so resistant, whether it's the habits or, you know, desire some other desires, even if they're not healthy, or uh, and it just so strong and like so much resistance. And I don't know, like if my car broke down on one of these steep hills and I have to push it up the hill to start it or something like this, just with this body power <laughs> and feeling kind of like that, like so, so much resistance, so unwieldy. But with working with it and working with it and working with it, uh, kind of like, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever made bread before. Has anybody here ever made bread by hand? Mm -hmm. Wow. <coughs> working with clay. There's a way working with clay where at first it's hard and then it's like from the warmth of your hands and just pushing it, just moving it and pushing it. And, and it's so nice when it starts to become smooth and it warms up and then you can shape it into whatever form you want to. Gold is like that. And the Buddha apparently had some experience with goldsmithing because he used the analogy of taking ore out of the mountains and then putting it in a big pot and then the dross burns off and it becomes completely flexible then whatever you pour it into it takes that shape yeah? using that as an analogy for the mind that's been worked with in that kind of way so making bread or working with clay or being a goldsmith 
Um, and I know for many other kinds of things, it's, it's like that too, even with the physical body. Working with the physical body and developing your strengths, and you can, you can lift things, you can do things that you can't until you do that work. But normally the work has its, has its rough parts to it. You have to exert, exert yourself, and there's the feeling of exertion with that. But like with developing physical strength, if you know you're doing a good thing that's healthy for you, you feel that exertion, sometimes even there's a burn with it, yeah, you're lifting something heavy, there's resistance, it's heavy, it's hard to do, but you feel good about it because you know you're developing something that's going to make you stronger and that is good for you to do, it's your intention to be doing it, you know it's well for you, and so it's not easy, but you feel good about it. You feel happy about it, right? For this too, if you understand how it works and you know you're working with a method that actually actually works well, even when the mind, even when there's resistance to make that effort and to do the, the work, work with it, like the cold clay or the when it's just the, the flour and the water are all kind of all not not smooth together like this. Yeah, but you, you know how it works, you do it, and then you feel good about it, even though it's hard. And then it shifts, and there's the, the benefit time that comes, where it's smooth. And it does work. And it's so beautiful for our mind with this work like this, how that happens, and how, how it, it functions, it starts to function so much, so much better. It's like your, your different faculties, how they can work how they can work together. And when you think something and then it's like the mind is, you know, yes, and then it just brings forth the faculties to do it and it's like all your friends are there and yes, I support you, I'm here with you, go team, we're doing it together. And these are your own mental faculties that are, that are doing that together. And your, your loving kindness for yourself is like there and patting you on the back and, and your compassion is there with you and it's like, yeah, I know, it's rough, but this is excellent, isn't it? Keep going. And, and your appreciation is, is there and saying, this is good. And, and your equanimity is like we'll pass through this, and you know. So these are these are these things that we develop, and then they they can come online together and work together in this this excellent way. But it does it takes the working it takes the working with it, yeah. Any yeah. The question about emotions um, huh. earlier. I've been thinking more about um, feeling emotions in my body, and yeah. earlier today I was having some difficult feelings of painful emotions, and I was mm. feeling, you know, where they were. I was doing <coughs> a, a guided meditation um, uh, to, to look at that, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I sort of felt where this emotion was, mm. and um, in the meditation it suggested that I let go of it, mm-hmm. and I had no idea how to do that. Yeah, this is a great example. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I'm wondering, you know, by by paying attention to it that is feeding it. Yeah. I would think. Um, but at the same time we don't want to just not pay attention to make right. it go away because our feelings are there I mean are, mm-hmm. we wanna feel our feelings and right. this, that question isn't fully formed but mm. 
there are different aspects to it. And if I think about one first key aspect, uh, the thing about letting go and the intention to let go, yeah, this is a really great example of what I was just talking about. We think for our physical body, like we have the ability to take something and grab onto it and then let go at will. But if I were to hold on to this for a long time, right now, I have it just, just now, and this is the time to be holding it, right? It's not the time to drop it. If I dropped it, it would clang and clunk, and I hope I wouldn't dent it or scratch it or this kind of thing. Um, so not the time to drop it. It's the time to be holding it uh, mindfully. Yeah. But if I continue to do that for the next five hours, do you think I would be able to let go? Even when I, when I, right now, I think about opening my fingers, easy, easy right now. But even if I were to hold it like this, and suppose I hold it just a little bit tighter, right? Mm -hmm. Holding something with mindful awareness in a way that's not tight doesn't have the same physical, emotional, mental effect as when you hold something tightly. Okay, even right now, now, if I hold it like this for five hours, probably my hand's going to get cramped. And if I think to open the fingers, I may not be able to. I might have to do some intervention with my other hand here, or someone else. I may have to say, Lulu, <laughs> can you please? Or here's my other hand coming, and maybe I'll need to massage it uh, a little bit because it will have gotten stiff. So think about the clay and that kind of analogy again now. So I'm going to bring warmth and bring some motion there and try to, you know, start to relax the stiffness and then start to, to move it a little bit. And I may be able to take off one finger and another finger and then I may be able to let it go, but actually I might still need to do a bit more massage on the hand just for the trauma of having been holding on to it, even not so hard for that period of time, yeah? If I'm holding onto it hard, even two or three minutes. Now, look, look at this. This is tense. It's painful. Even right now, holding it hard, like this. And if I try to hold it like this, even for three minutes, going to be more pain. And right now, I might actually need that intervention even from not even 30 seconds of holding it hard like that. I start giving the signal to it to relax, and it's not so easy as it just was because of how hard I'm holding it. And I actually, I need to, now because my shoulder is also cramping, then first I need to move my shoulder, and then there's also my belly had gotten hard. I need to relax my belly. Now bringing breath, now I feel it relaxing. I'm just telling you live what's actually happening here with the experience. <laughs> I don't want to tell you, don't try this at home, but this is actually a really good exercise to try, to just know, because the patterns that are going on with our physical bodies are so similar in ways to the patterns that are going on with the emotions and the patterns that are going on with the mind. When I relaxed my belly, actually, and then my breath became free, I could feel it then going down the arm and there's tingling on the top of my head and even I felt it going down into the other hand and then I felt like I can I can start to release. And that's under 30 seconds of holding it hard. But if I did that for a longer time, all the more so. All the more so will it need that. And then it's going to need some aftercare also, yeah? Some, some kind and gentle aftercare because... There's injury. There would be injury from doing that, truly. 
And so the things that we hold tight or hold hard, uh, whether it's a physical thing like this or whether it's something else, and I was just holding this, and I explained about the to hold it tight, the tightness in my belly, to be holding it like that, can be just like that for ideas, for thoughts, for for the emotions. This is one of the great things with mindfulness of the body. Sometimes you can go to the body first, as you are doing, and find the place that's hard, find the place that's stiff. And you can, I like to say, to give the invitation to relax. (coughs) And then allow time and just look carefully at what's happening. So it's almost like just dropping something into a pool of water and then watching the ripples spread out. Like that, it's like I just drop in the invitation uh, for relaxing, for releasing. If it's something that's you know, not, not healthy, an invitation for healthiness. Uh, if it's something that needs to be, that's hurt, needs healing, an invitation for healing. And I just drop it in and then just watch. So no amount of demanding will make it happen faster than it's going to be able to happen. In fact, sometimes it will even slow it down because it's like there's already something painful and tight and then you're bringing in something else that's tight and hard and then those two things bump on each other and then they kind of, they, they don't rub smooth on each other. They, they rub hard. So if you're going to be like a military commander with your mind, is let go! This <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Too hard. <laughs> Solve it up. Um, not going to not going to go well like that, yeah. So for me I find the, the, the invitation and then like watching the ripples spread and being being willing to give it time and then just see then what happens over time. Watching how it shifts, watching how it changes. And Sometimes if things are hurt, then kindness is needed, compassion is needed. Drop that into the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So if you add in the kindness, if you add in some compassion, uh, sometimes some appreciation, mm-hmm. other things you can ask. What is, you can ask, actually. What is needed here? Mm-hmm. What is needed here? And let your own knowing, your own uh, wisdom. Yeah? Uh, see if it answers. See what it tells you. If you give the space and time to then just be aware for one second, two seconds, three seconds, even five seconds, perhaps even 20 seconds. Actually, it's really fast. If we don't give that time, these things last for years. You can die with them. If you do drop in that question and give that time, sometimes even in one second, sometimes as long as 20 seconds or even five minutes for a kind of a response to come, some intuition, some knowing that's there in you that you've just, you've just invited, you've just opened the space for, and then doesn't come from outside but just arises from your, from your own knowing, from your own wisdom. And there it is, your answer of what's, what's needed and what you can give to it that will be transformative. I love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Not speaking just from theory. Okay. So, <laughs> we're at our time. 
do you have a feeling of wanting to play a chant or mm. just do another moment of quiet or mm. I feel like uh, dedicating the the goodness of our practice the wisdom of this path of practice and uh, and our, our effort to to listen, to hear, to see, to know, to feel, to be with, uh, to our own to our own welfare, to our own well-being, and then spreading that and wishing that that, like those spreading uh, circles, uh, that that be able to be something that is shareable, that can be shared with everybody that I know, love, care about, all those in this room, in this space, and spreading outwards, uh, spreading out through Oakland, the space of the evening light, the sunset, between and through and into all the buildings, up to the sky, down through the pavement, and earth to all the humans and all the other forms of life wishing all well no requirement no demand just the movement of the kind heart with loving kindness and appreciation out to all, as to myself, coming back in these concentric circles, back to this body, in the center of this body, our own hearts, feelings, minds, feeling the blessing of it, steeping in that. and a dedication to nourish what is healthy, what is helpful, what is a blessing for me. And in my life, in my relationships, in my co-being, with my fellow beings. Back to myself in my own heart, may I be well. May I see and know and use the nourishment that I need for this path. making wise effort.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.